Klaatu Verata Nikto. Ellen Leatera Scavage Make us these weirdos. Eta nihil you can do. So just us chillaxos. And welcome to We're Gonna Make This Weird. Today's podcast is a little different. As you might know, uh, we've started this season a little bit differently. We've started a bit thematically this time. Today's episode is also really different because, as you'll notice, Leah didn't introduce the podcast. It was me. And it's not because I'm alone. I think it'd be really sad if I sat here and talked to myself for an hour. I'm actually joined by a very special guest today, and we're going to be talking about something that she and I share in common. The topic of today's episode is titled Death of a Christian. Listeners, please welcome Atnea. Hello, Atnea. Hi, Ellen. Um, and hi, listeners. <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about this topic and to be in this podcast. I cannot believe I'm in a podcast. This is my first time. And... There's no better company. So I'm very happy it's both of us. I'm actually surprised that you've never been interviewed before for a podcast. That's actually super surprising to me. I know. I think people are racist. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I have an accent and I I don't know. Maybe I'm not that interesting. Maybe you just like me. I mean, okay, so there would there people could accuse me of bias because we are just, we are interviewing our friends, but I will say you are a very interesting person. And I think anyone who doesn't have you on your, their podcasts in the future will just, yeah, they're racist because you, I think you're going to make for a great guest today. Thank you, Ellen. I hope so. Yeah. So tell, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, why you're here today on the podcast. So my name is Atenea. I'm Mexican. I'm also an immigrant in this horrible country. Um, called the United States of America, and I I sort of like it here, and that's a problem. It's a problem that I sort of like it. Mm -hmm. I like the weather. I like pumpkin spice in the Northeast. I like the forest. I like the bookstores and the libraries and the U.S. Postal Service that we should all be defending. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I came here eight years ago to do a master's program at an Ivy League institution, and I'm right now at another Ivy League institution. They are worse than whatever we have imagined, and I'm also an anthropologist and an educator. I study how people make decisions about migration, especially in the U.S.-Mexico border, um, and people who have been detained, children in cages, separated families, etc. So I study very sad topics. Right. But very necessary topics to actually have research on. Yeah. And also, I yeah, actually, I think you are like the Postal Service's 
biggest fan. Do you ever dress up for Halloween at all? Uh, no, because I celebrate Day of the Dead. That's fair. Yeah. Maybe, oh, maybe for Purim then. Maybe for one year for Purim, you should dress up as like a postal service worker. I would love that. I would I love mean... that. And honestly, in my parallel life, I think I would love to be a USPS worker. Oh, interesting. There's like an entire, uh, there's like a children's book about a little kid who like dreams of being a postal service like his father. And it's very detailed about like the life of a postal service worker. So that might have been, that could have been you. I could have loved that job. I could have been very happy. I also think that, you know, you get some of the best benefits of this country mm -hmm. in terms of work. And also you got to walk as long as you do your route, you're fine. Mm -hmm. There are no downsides to yeah. <laughs> the downsides is that you're always under attack. That's true. Yeah, and that some people are horrible and that if something gets lost, it's your fault, etc. But anyways, that's my parallel life. <laughs> I could have really liked the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, I could have liked to be a, a postal service worker. I've recently started thinking about collecting stamps, but, but that might be taking it too far. I, I mean, like stamp collecting is still a pretty big hobby, actually. Yeah, and it's very controversial. Every design is controversial. Really? Yeah, there's like a committee that decides what's going to be printed. Yeah. Wow. Is there ever like a popular vote or is it always like this committee has to decide? I think it's this committee. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like that's why you can see Bugs Bunny with a military uniform on some of the stamps from like two years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's why we don't have very radical stamps. And it really depends on who is part of that committee. I guess. So. Oh, so someone needs to like a communist or a socialist needs to like infiltrate it and start putting like Castro and like just, you know, a hammer and sickle. And, like... Yeah. Or just, yeah, just some sublime notes like give back the land. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's one of the things I'm interested on, the U.S. Postal Service and migration, borders, boundaries, genocide, just your general intense topics that Ellen is also interested in. Yeah, in, in different era and different people. But yes, also very interested in and oh, but also like current as well. I keep I keep thinking like, yeah, anthropology is like like history, which is like it doesn't deal with the present but it does <laughs> absolutely deals with the present, which I always forget. Anyway, I think we could, we could have, we could spend an entire episode just talking about like your dissertation topic or on any, again, like I said, like you should be on tons of podcasts <laughs> to talk about that and, or to talk about stamp collecting. Like, like it's out there. They, these are all things that people are interested in. I just think they don't know what they're missing. Yeah. I totally agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what do you, what brings you to today's podcast? Uh, converting to Judaism. Yes. yes, that is it. Yep. Uh, we both, I don't think we both converted in the same year, right? You converted a year after me, I think. Yeah, I, I converted 2019. Okay. And I did tw 2018. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So you're raised in Mexico and you immigrated to the United States. Tell us a little bit about your history and your story of going from, if you don't want to be that morbid, I, I will talk about the day my Catholicism died. <laughs> like I buried it in the backyard <laughs> and refused to ever pull it back up. You don't have to be that morbid. <laughs> when did you decide that maybe like, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't your best friend and like he was just a cool rabbi. When did that happen for you? 
<laughs> oh, there are so many layers of this. I think it was a process. For me, it was a process of just understanding that I couldn't be my best self in Catholicism or Christianity. Mm-hmm. And also that Christianity is just one that on genocide um, and on colonization. And I just couldn't bear that. I just couldn't match my political views. And it's hard. It's hard to be Jewish and think about colonization because of the big topic of Israel-Palestine. I just couldn't be anti-colonial or have an anti-colonial ethos and think about myself as Catholic. So that was, I think, the beginning. It was just a very intellectual processing. Also realizing that Catholic Inquisition killed people. You know, it killed women. It killed women who were seeking abortions and were teaching other people to have abortions. It killed doctors. It killed just anyone who didn't believe in the Catholic Church. So that was some intellectual reckoning with my Catholic self. And then just thinking about how, you know, I never met any woman who I identify as a woman who had any position of power in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that, well, then maybe it's just not the sign for me. So that was another thing. And that made me think a lot about sexuality and, and my identity, my gender identity and my sexual identity and how it just doesn't match with the Catholic Church. I was I grew up not really being Catholic, but respecting the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And when I was 18, I volunteered for the Jesuit volunteer service for a year. So I lived in a church. And in that church, I was, you know, I was very close to the main priest. And the and this priest in southern Mexico was a, a guy I respect and is a very fascinating person. And one day I found him burning his hands on the on the kitchen, on the on the stove. And it was like 7 a.m. I was waking up living in this church going to have some breakfast and I see this priest burning his hands and I think to myself what the heck is going on here and and then I we just look at each other and he I ask him and he says I just was having really bad thoughts and then I I realized that okay this man was maybe touching himself and having some like sexual experience with himself because it's not allowed Mm -hmm. because he's a priest he was hurting himself right If I have to name a moment when it started, when that long process started, that was it. And it was very visceral, Mm -hmm. just realizing that the Catholic Church as an institution and as an ethos, an ideology and a set of beliefs, et cetera, as a religion, makes people hurt themselves. Mm -hmm. And there is no way of being a Catholic if you don't hurt yourself uh, or I don't see it and I didn't see it. I think it started there, but it culminated with being and acting Jewish and thinking that there's more space for people like me in Jewish community. I'm interested because like you said, a lot of it was intellectual and also like experiencing firsthand like the violence of Christianity or Catholicism and also the history of violence in it as well. But that seemed to have come before like any like spiritual reckoning. Did the spiritual come later or was that or they or they combined? Well, that's such a good point. And I'm curious to know how you felt about that. But for me, I think first was intellectual, that I just wasn't sure if that was for me. Yeah, the spiritual part for me came later. It was just when I started observing things and being, you know, like keeping some sort of Shabbat and being in community and, and having the seders with my husband. Being in Jewish community, I think, gave me that sense of faith and spirituality. And I could say it was definitely later. 
that I realized, oh, there is a space for me and it might be Judaism. I explored. I was, for some time there, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a Buddhist. I'm going to meditate my way out of this. Mm -hmm. And I just can't. You know, there is some intense anger I have uh, Mm -hmm. and rage and I just cannot be compassionate. I mean, I can be, but but I don't I don't think I can be compassionate with absolutely every being in the world. And I actually have ideological problems with the idea of always being good to others. So something I mm-hmm. like about being Jewish is that we actually have enemies mm-hmm. or it's allowed to have enemies. And that somehow feels better. It, it certainly feels more human because I feel like Catholicism, but also they get to an extent Buddhism. It's just like not, I, I guess maybe the word isn't like stripping yourself of humanity, but it's also like rejecting visceral reactions to things. Like I remember one time a priest in when I was in Catholic school, a priest told me, you don't have the right to be angry. You should always be accepting or happy. You don't have the right to be. And I was like, what do you mean? I don't have the right. I like, I, there's so many things to be angry about. What the hell are you talking about? And he never like got more explicit than that. Or if he did, I definitely shut that out because like that already that like whole thing didn't make sense to me. That's how we react to stuff. So yeah, I I can understand Judaism feels very um, real. It feels realistic. Very realistic. Yeah. It also feels like, okay, maybe today I'm not angry, but I might be angry tomorrow. And I need Mm -hmm. the possibility of being angry. Um, right. And that possibility itself gives me hope. Mm-hmm. So th- that's something I, I feel that in general, I see a lot of possibilities in being Jewish, mm-hmm. of being in disagreement with other people. I don't like unity. I don't like the homogeneity of, of institutions. And the very fact that in mm-hmm. Judaism, no one agrees with anything is actually pretty exciting for me. And that might be an intellectual thing that I like that because, you know, I'm doing a PhD. I like discussing. I like learning. But it's also just a, it's, I think it's a natural inclination I have just to disagreement and anger and discussion. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's like what Judaism is. It's like always coming with a question always being willing to push the boundaries of what is accepted. Probably why I could never be like Orthodox. I did for a hot second think like, maybe I should try to be an Orthodox Jew. And then I, the fact that I would have to separate myself from men, for people who present as men. And also, you know, I couldn't do what men do. I was like, yeah, okay, well, I think we've, I think I've moved past that. <laughs> Catholicism already said I couldn't do it. So like, fuck that. Yeah. But I did for a hot second think I maybe wanted to be. The reason why was because uh because Philly has a pretty big Orthodox or relatively big Orthodox community, not as big as New York, but there's even like a matchmaker in Philly who like only pairs Orthodox Jews together. And I was like, if I'm gonna hedge my bets on like marrying a Jewish person, maybe I have to like, you know, really settle into it. Thankfully that wasn't the case. Yes. So yes, but it is true that there are some aspects of Judaism that are triggering. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like that division of men and women mm-hmm. has also been triggering to me. I feel like, no, I didn't come to this religion to just be separated from men and know that men are better than women and pray for men and not women and all of that. Mm-hmm. But also there are other things of more liberal Judaism that can also be triggering. Like, I don't like singing in church. I don't like singing at my synagogue. I never like singing at the church. I don't think I will ever like singing as much in any service. Why do I have to sing all the time? Why, it, especially when there are like instruments. I feel like I left that. Yeah. I 
don't think I will ever be into choir and religious services in the same place. I'm I'm unpacking it. There are some things that I'm just trying to understand better about my Jewish self. I, I, you are right. The reform movement reminded me so much of Catholicism, like being in a Catholic church without the communion that I was just like, no, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> like, uh, no, <laughs> I left it. Like it's, and when it started to feel familiar and it started to feel like, oh yeah, I could like do this. I'm like, wait a minute. I left the Catholic church for a reason. <laughs> and this was one of them, which is funny because I grew up singing choir in choir and like singing at church a lot and, uh, being a cantor. Um, and I love to sing and like some of the, the most, my favorite memories were singing together with Leah, like singing hymns and stuff like for our mother. Um, but I don't feel the spirituality in those songs. They're just very pretty. <laughs> like they're just very yeah. pretty songs. How did you kill your Catholic? So my journey to killing my Catholic self probably started in like, probably like fifth grade. As listeners might be remembering, we did a three-part series on Catholic school and very early it was fine. Like I had a very okay relationship. Jesus was kind of like a brother, like that never, I never had. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and he's also a father. Oh, and he's also some kind of ghost. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> like, and you know, you just, cause it's all rote. You don't realize that your friends who go to public school don't also have crosses in their house and don't also have like a bunch of Psalms plastered all over the walls. It starts to dawn on you like, oh, some people don't grow up with religion. And that's interesting. So it started around fifth grade, but by the time I got to high school and I was being told that, you know, homosexuality is a sin and touching yourself is a sin and, oh, and that like animals can't go to heaven. That really sent me for a loop. I was like, excuse me, my dog is on death's door and you're telling me I'm never going to see her again. No, <laughs> absolutely not. It was a long drawn out process for me. I tried one more time when I was 17. I tried really hard to like get into it. I went to this thing called, do you know what like Kairos or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're familiar. If listeners, if you don't know, um, Kairos is a four day process where they keep you up until like midnight and then they wake you up at like 5 a.m. So you are sleep deprived and they emotionally manipulate you for 18 hours a day. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally going to get into this. Like, it seems like a place where if I'm going to find Jesus, this is going to be the place to be. And all I just got was like increasingly upset <laughs> and realized that I just hated the manipulation. And I hated being told that like my only salvation was through Jesus. This was like maybe a year and a half before I would come out as bi. So certainly didn't help. It is, uh, unfortunately, this also came at the expense of my mental health. It was in a very dark place. And I went to church in my hometown and I walked in and I was like, I just needed like some peace. I thought I could get some peace there. And I started crying and the people around me looked at me like I was on fire. No one asked me what was wrong. No one said, are you okay? Everyone moved away from me. And I was like, okay, well, fuck this. Never again. I walked out of the church, walked back home. Like I hadn't even driven there. I'd walked, walked back home. And it was like, never again. I'm like, I can't stand the sight, the idea of of sitting in a Catholic church ever again. Uh, anytime since that I've been asked to go to a Catholic service, I've been pretty reticent about it. Like I don't, I feel like my skin's burning <laughs> because, you know, especially even before I like became Jewish, I was like, oh, I don't want to be here. Like, oh, it's like, I don't want to remember <laughs> all of this. And then the whole Judaism part came from, came from dating a guy 
the person who introduced me to it, I do have to thank him because even though he was a piece of shit, he did bring me to Judaism. Thankfully, that journey only took two years before I converted. And now I've been uh, Jewish ever since. And I've been pretty happy, uh, like a lot happier now. (laughs) Mine wasn't, yeah, mine wasn't very intellectual, or maybe it was intellectual for sure, the Judaism part, but killing the Catholic part was killing a former version of myself for sure. Mm -hmm. Like a, a hopeful version of myself. Sorry, that was also very long-winded. So. I love that both of us are may sound like the crankiest people in the world. <laughs> and also, we happen to be Jewish. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah, which is like such a staple. Yes. <laughs> no, it's I, I find it very interesting that you say I killed the hopeful self. It was. It was like, didn't you, did you ever feel, did you ever want to go back? No, you just like, you're like, it's, you shut the door. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, I did just decide that it was not, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does work for like white cis men, um, but not even them, right? It's because they are mm-hmm. guilty. They feel guilty of touching themselves. Whereas for me, that was with Judaism, that was huge. Just that, oh, we can have sex and not mm-hmm. feel guilty about it. Yeah, there is some reproductive goal, and at the same time, it's actually a mitzvah that m- for men to give pleasure to women. And women to come first. Yeah. That's so different from wherever I did before, whatever I did before. <laughs> <laughs> that blew my mind. The first time I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> like, who would ever believe such a thing? Yes, no, exactly. Yeah. That was like, okay, so I so I have to come first. Okay, so that's allowed. First of all, coming. You know, the idea of coming, and now I feel like I'm oversharing, but no, this is important. Pleasure is important. Yeah. In general, Judaism, I think, has a, a, a more welcoming approach than Catholicism and Christianity in general. Mm-hmm. It might also be that the way I knew Jews before Judaism, like I knew I had met some Jews before I became Jewish, but they just happier in terms of their sexuality. Like, they never talk about just not having sex. That I think relates to abortion and the views on abortion that I that 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 I think was for me that was a big, big change mm-hmm. because I needed to have an abortion. <laughs> I, I needed to know that it's okay to have an abortion. And it is okay in Judaism to have abortions. Like it's just a limp of the mother. It's not yeah. a child, it's a limp. And it's a limp till very late in the process, like literally till it gets out of your body um and just the language around children there's the jews i surround myself with don't talk about a baby inside a womb or an unborn baby no it doesn't even have a name right Mm -hmm. we call them pet names yeah and that's actually important it's important to know that i can i will be supported and i have been supported in terms of decisions i make for my body Mm -hmm. The first thing I saw at the Catholic church I went to, my parents' church, is this huge, this huge figure of a fetus at the entrance of the church. Yeah. What? A huge paper mache fetus. Oh my God. It's <laughs> ridiculous because the place is ridiculous. Oh my and, you know, and it has all these notes about like this information about why you shouldn't have an abortion. And why you are killing Jesus by killing your fetus. I remember like at 17 going to church for, I don't know, Christmas, whatever. And seeing this huge, horrible paper mache fetus. (laughs) And 
we just, I don't need to see that. Mm-hmm. And realizing that I don't need to see that. And also, I actually don't have to go anywhere to be Jewish. Like, I can just observe Shabbat in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I need a minion. I need a group of 10 people. But also, there are so many things that I just can't do by myself. In Catholicism, everything is dependent on a priest mm-hmm. and on the church. It's empowering to actually do your own ritual and do your own thing. I, I think that I just gave a lot of information about from sexuality to abortion to empowerment. Listen, this is a first and foremost, this is a comedy podcast, but let me tell you, this season is different. <laughs> and it I don't care because I also I, also, I will also say like a lot of our listeners are still Catholic. Oh which I get. Like listeners, don't worry, like um man, oh man, maybe James cut this out. <laughs> don't want to like I don't want to dig myself a hole but you know like I try not to think about the people I care about being Catholic I guess because like my parents are Catholic yeah but I still hold them to like when they're like oh well they're not a real Christian you know that bullshit that people try to pull just like no 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 there are some shit people in the world if they ascribe to the same thing you do they are part of your community you have to like be accountable for them just like the same way Jews like Zionist Jews we have to be accountable for them because holy shit (laughs) like yeah Please, Jane, don't erase this part about how we also have to hold accountable other Jews on their views on Zionism, because that's colonialism. And we have to start calling what's happening in Israel, Palestine, apartheid. Yeah. I also think it's difficult as a convert, but we'll go into that. Mm -hmm. And thinking about people who are Catholic and who might be listening (laughs) to us and in my own family and just because I'm surrounded by Catholics. It's I'm Latina, I'm also Mexican, and the vast majority of us are Catholic and very fervent Catholics. It's very violent. The imagery of Catholicism is very violent and it's something to think about. You know, it's not normal to just see a man being crucified. Why are we seeing that all the time? Why is it okay to witness a man being killed? And I know he'll be reborn in three days and all of that, And it's because of us and everyone that he's doing that. And at the same time, that's not okay. You know, why are we seeing torture? Why did we normalize that? And I I say we because we all live in a Christian normative Mm -hmm. society and that's Mm -hmm. everywhere. Even if we're Jewish or whatever other minority religion we identify ourselves as, that's the imagery that is common. Christianity is Mm -hmm. the norm. I don't want to see that. You know, I don't want to see a man being crucified. For whatever reason and also like he's naked crying there's blood on his body yeah you think about like the actual historical jesus like probably not the per like not the thing he'd want to be remembered for the day he is murdered by an imperial state that would be like putting up the last days of someone now in prison being murdered through lethal injection and that's the picture that gets put up everywhere the fact that we don't stop to think about that and that we that people wear crosses, put up crosses in their houses. And like, and you're right, it is that like di- dichotomy of like remembering and then also like the resurrection. It's just like, but what like, yeah, why is it such violent imagery? I don't know if you ever drive down the highway and see three crosses on the road. They're everywhere. Yeah. It's insane. If I walk into an establishment and I see a cross, I usually turn around and leave. Not because I'm like, oh, fuck them because they're Christian. It's just like, I'd rather not. I'd just rather not be there. Yeah. No, there are some things that just feel very scary. I, I can say that there are two things that I've been very scared at in the last five years. One, a Phillies game. What? <laughs> Sorry, wait, what? Yeah, a Phillies game because the Phillies, the Phillies fans are, 
you know this, Alan. They're out any any authority or anything. And also, it's a majority white crowd, so sometimes just feels like, why am I here? I love baseball, but also um, I was taught not to be surrounded by like twenty thousand white Italian American Philadelphians. That's <laughs> true. Know? That's fair. It's a, yeah. Anyone from South Philly, you just like immediately leave. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. And the second thing, the second place where I felt like kind of unsafe in the last couple of years was right before the pandemic, we went to uh, southern Spain and it was like a big virgin day. And there was a crowd of thousands of people with crosses walking around, very medieval, medieval, walking around with huge candles, like really, really long candles. And this virgin that was supposed to be crying, but she was not crying. It was that she was being shaken and she looks like she's crying, but it's not. It's just that the people who are holding her are Mm -hmm. shaking her for that effect to happen. And it felt it felt weird. It felt overwhelming. It felt like, oh, I shouldn't be here. This is this feels actually weird and unsafe. I'm glad they don't know I'm Jewish. <laughs> it's clearly designed to to give a message to the people who are not Catholic. And it's weird. Yeah, it's weird to think about those signs and and that communication effort uh, of normalizing crosses and normalizing the image of Jesus. You know, I'm thinking of talking about Spain and things. Some time ago, I learned that the ham stores have these ham legs outside as a sign against Jews and Muslims. Oh, my God. When Jews being were being expelled from Spain, one of the ways to for shops to, to show that they were not Jewish was to have these pork legs on the stores that I'm sure you have seen. Now that's the way that ham is presented in like fancy stores. And it started as a way of signaling that Jews were not welcome. Oh my God. So like regular butcher shops don't do that, but the fancy ones do. Yeah. That's unfortunate. (laughs) That's even worse. Are they taking it? Do you think it's like they're being ahistorical and they're just doing it because that's what they see in like old advertisements? It's normal, right? It's normal to be anti any other religion that is not Christian. That's true. I guess you're right. Yes. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back to talk more. Hey, so there's not much in the ad copy here. You want I should just riff a little? All right, let's do this. Hey, Steve Crazy Fingers Pulaski here, former pitcher for the New York Mets and two-time National League MVP. You may remember me from my 2.54 lifetime ERA, or perhaps in that time that I was embroiled in an illegal sports betting scandal during the 2012 World Series. What's up? Oh, dang, you don't think I should mention that? Shit, okay. Hi, Steve Crazy Fingers Pulaski here, former New York Met, two-time MVP, and winner of Hustler Magazine's 1999 Biggest Balls in Sports Award. Yeah? Well, I'm proud of it. I don't see why I can't. All right, fine, fine. Hi, Crazy Fingers Pulaski here, two-time MVP and former bath salts addict. What? Well, it's an important part of my past. I'm not a shit. Okay, you know what? How about you go f- Hi, Crazy Fingers Pulaski here, two-time MVP and nothing else. Here to tell you about Crazy Fingers Stamp Emporium and Notary Services. Are you looking for postage or are you in need of somebody to sign an affidavit? What's that? He's in there? He wants to do it right now? Yeah, fine. Come on in, man. Christ all fucking money. And without further ado, here's my half-brother Joey with an original rap he... I'm not gonna fucking call you that, Joe. No. Fine. Fine, fine, fine. 
And without further ado, here's MC Sexual Joseph with the rap. Take it away, Joe. Uh. 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 Stamps. Posted stamps. You can stick them on lamps, but they're better on letters. All right, it's time to go to the stamp emporium. If you thought you're probably crazy, you should check into a sanatorium. Oh, yeah. Stamps. Spitting rhymes. Yeah. Wow. Man, that really took the fucking wind out of my sails. Let's just cut. All right, and we're back. Um, I'm actually very curious to see what uh, James has in store for our ads. We never know when we record. Maybe he, maybe he'll try to sell a like a Zoastri or no, what is it? Um, Pastafarianism. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> we'll see. But anyway, um, now that we're back, Nam made a really great point while we were on our break, which is that we didn't talk about our conversion stories. We also didn't talk about the very basics of Judaism. So Atnaya, tell me about your conversion story. When did it happen? Where? And uh, what was it like? Well, it was cool. That's the first thing. Um, it was 2019 and I had just moved to Philly and I knew that I wanted to convert with a woman under the tutelage and the learning of a woman. So I found this awesome lesbian rabbi, Linda Holzman, and she's also not Zionist. And I'm very lucky to have found her. I joined the circle of people who just talk about their experiences. All of us were converting and it was a very individualized process, which can be tricky. And then after that, I needed a more formal class. So I joined this class in which I was kicked out for good, uh, for good reasons, because I just knew too much compared to the other group. I, by then I had already been doing Shabbat and observing some cash rules and doing the sailors, et cetera, for like three, four years. Yeah, I, I knew things by then. And then I remember we met and you told me everything about the mikvah, which I think you should explain because you probably know more. <laughs> but it's pretty much going to a holy pool and... <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> Please continue. You're right, it is. Uh, which can also be a river. Um <laughs> Uh, saying a blessing, a blessing that talks about the first time and like being, yeah, being Jewish for the first time officially. So we say the blessing. You're fully naked. There is a mikvah lady who is a very important character in the conversion story. Like someone who's going to help you be in the, in the holy pool. You cry. You're there naked. You sink three times. You become Jewish. I cried a lot there in, in the mikvah. It was very intense. It was very weird <laughs> you know you are naked with this lady who is witnessing you becoming Jewish and you're crying like a baby and that's it and then afterwards no wait before I don't remember oops um there is a group of three rabbis who ask you questions about your decision of becoming Jewish I remember what they asked me didn't they ask me about how I decided that I was going to be Jewish and they also asked me what I thought was the biggest threat um to the Jewish people wow. how did you answer that it seems like a very leading question when it exactly yeah it's a it's a tricky question I say white supremacy and all of them agree nice yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you're right. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm thinking of like the stereotypical answer, which is like intermarriage. <laughs> just like, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, intermarriage. You know that youth don't go to synagogue anymore. <laughs> like the internet is the biggest thing. <laughs> Video game. Um, <laughs> no, that's a great answer. Oh, and the bait dean comes first. The it comes. Yeah, first see you no more. Yeah. yeah. I remember that's how I met you. You were telling me everything about this and I was super nervous and you were like, it's going to be fine. Yeah. And I, I, I also cried very hard during it. It's interesting because you had the McFill lady. I had my future mother-in-law, my uh, Simone, and then another friend of mine, Shelly. And they were the ones and like being naked in front of them. It was a liberating, but also very scary experience. Because I'm like, oh, you know, you'll never be able to unsee this. So like, and did you, I also fucked up. I couldn't, do you know how hard it is to get, to, to dip yourself in water? Oh yeah. Is it, it's hard. Cause you're like, cause one time I accidentally touched the, like the wall and they're like, you got to do it again. Like you touched the wall. And I'm just like, you guys, <laughs> please. <laughs> I, I couldn't, cause it's hard to don't realize like you have to like essentially jump underwater and touch your toes because nothing it's supposed to be the water only it's supposed. And you also oh, have to open your eyes. Oh Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, and you're like, oh, and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> like, I can't see. It's murky. It's a beautiful, it's like one of the most beautiful mikvahs. I mean, it's not the most beautiful. I think there are like some that are like more beautiful or whatever and ancient, but like that one was especially like, like the blue tiling and that was rainwater. So, but yeah, it was just, yeah, I fucked it up. Um, <laughs> and that didn't that wasn't fun but uh but I, yeah I also got out and just like started bawling like or no because they let because they leave and you can just like you can just sit there by yourself in the water and I did I just like started crying and like and there's a picture when I came out and I dressed myself and everything and I just like that's probably the happiest I'd ever I ever looked oh my favorite pictures of me and like because like Leah was there and like a lot of, a lot of people were there to support me but yeah no it's a it's a beautiful experience did you go to the mikvah before your wedding? No. Oh, you didn't? Okay. Yeah. But, you know, I, I I love that we remember the most beautiful part, but not the, like, months of learning and studying and being confused. <laughs> yeah, because that. that's, that's all, like, ugh, that was all window dressing. I, I did not. And it's funny you got kicked out of your class. I hoped I would get kicked out <laughs> because I did not want to keep going. It was such an, it was inconvenient. And it was also like everyone there was converting to Judaism to get married. I was like, that's fine. Like everyone has their own path. Like that's totally fine. But like it was through the reform movement. So it was a little bit intermarriage and like, it's fine to be intermarried, but like maybe converting is better. Mm. And like also a little bit Zionist, but in a liberal way, liberal Zionism. Which we don't know if it's worst. Um, All right. <laughs> militant Zionism or liberal Zionism? I would say liberal. <laughs> at least the militant Zionists are honest about their bullshit. Yeah. Liberal, not so much. Yeah, liberal Zionists sometimes. No, liberal Zionists really reflect um, that meme that has been going around about easy to put a Black Lives Matter sign outside your house in, in your lawn very difficult to call ethnic cleansing ethnic cleansing um oh the the one from reductress yeah, yeah, yeah that's that so fun. i love reductress is one of my favorite satire yeah that was that is great uh the, most of the liberal zionists i know are still into yeah racism is bad 
but you know what? <laughs> We're still going to have this, this horrible laws in Israel that don't allow people to go back to their houses. It's, it's difficult. I, I want to say that I'm a, a pretty observant Jew and I'm also non-Zionist. Um, and I'm proud of that. Um, but it's complicated. It's complicated because I have lost friends. <laughs> um, I was telling my my husband yesterday that it actually feels bad, you know, when like my first lover who is an Israeli person, like stopped talking to me and blocked me from all wow. social media. I know. What? I know. I feel like you were my 16 years old sweetheart. Why are you acting like this? But anyways, that's Zionism. Just to finish conversion stories. Yeah, I was very lucky that most of people were not super Zionist. But sadly, you're right. My experience was very similar. The people who were converting were very into converting to please their mothers-in-law. Um, mm -hmm. And it was mostly women. And that also made me feel and think a lot. My husband was really into me not converting, which was weird sometimes. And I know he was trying to be supportive and say, no, you know what? You can still be whatever you want to be. But I remember him telling me, this is going to drive you crazy. The Jewish people are not okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, I think I have been around for like six years. Can I just, can I just do it? And it turned out to be fine. I still love the Jews and my Jewish friends and community and my people. And I see them as my people, although sometimes it's pretty hard. Yeah, because it's also one of the big things um, which we haven't touched on and we don't have to get too far into it. But listeners, you should know that I have the privilege and luxury of when I say I'm Jewish, no one questions that I was probably born Jewish. That's not the same for, for converts of color. Don't assume that someone who is Jewish should look Eastern European. And also like, don't assume everyone in Eastern Europe is also white. Let's, let's also maybe like start killing that idea too. Because then you start to erase the people in the Balkans. And uh... yeah, no, that's, that's important. I think I am questioning all fronts and it's fascinating. It's really an adventure, um, really a way to live um, because my identities are not understood together. Like very few people think that Mexicans can be Jews, mm. which is already racist and a lack of understanding about what it means to be Latinx, which is also a social construct of the U.S. Uh, imperial power. But anyways, so people don't imagine that we can be Jewish. In fact, there is a large Jewish community in Latin America, especially in Brazil, Argentina and Mexico. Yeah. But that's something that people don't understand or many, many people. They also think that it's as recent as like the 1940s, 1930s, 40s. And it goes back centuries. Right, right, right. And there are also some last names that are hiddenly Jewish, right? Like yeah. some yeah. people had to convert to Catholicism or pretend they were Catholic because there was an Inquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, so th there are many layers of that. But yes, I don't present as Ashkenazi and I'm not white. So the people who understand I'm Mexican don't see me as Jewish and therefore can be anti-Semitic. Like I have faced some anti-Semitic stuff because, because I don't present as Jewish, right? So I hear my friends, my friends and uninformed colleagues just being anti-Semitic because they don't think I will say anything, right? Mm -hmm. And then in Jewish spaces that are more Ashkenazi normative, I'm not white. So they immediately think that I'm not Jewish and that I convert it. Mm -hmm. And they are right, but it sucks that that's the first assumption. 
Yeah. I think in the Jewish spaces I have participated in more recently, as in the last five years, there is a real and honest conversation about our own white supremacy and racism, internalized racism against ourselves. <laughs> but um, but it's hard. I think in Jewish communities, which is something that I don't see anywhere else, there's an honest conversation about how we participate in white supremacy and how white supremacy mobilizes Jewish bodies mm-hmm. to reproduce itself. Like the great replacement theory that says that Jews are going to pay for undocumented immigrants to come to the U.S. Mm-hmm. and change the population is a white supremacist anti-Semitic trope. Mm-hmm. Anyways, all that to say that, yes, my identity sometimes can be can look contradictory, but they are not. Right. It happens like all the time. And since we're talking about white supremacy in the uh, umbrella of talking about Christianity and Catholicism, I think it was just recently, uh, yet again, the first response to anti-Semitism among synagogues is to have a police presence. And I think the latest one was in New Jersey, where they had to like back down on having a police presence at the synagogue. If you say you're open to everybody, that means no cops. Like, are you shitting me? Yeah. But that reminds me that like, there's never been a time in my life where a Catholic church has had to be guarded by police. Mm. And that's not to say that Christian churches, specifically African-American, Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. That's not who I'm talking about. Specifically, I'm talking about the Catholic churches that I have been at. That has never been a topic. Yeah. Like there was a Catholic church in Philly, St. Peter and Paul's downtown at Logan Square. The windows are so high because they were trying to throw bombs into the like into the rectory to blow it up. Um, this but this is anti-Irish and Italian sentiment. But outside of that, I can't think of a time where it was necessary. Typically, the Jewish response to any sort of violence is to align themselves with the white supremacist police force. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's super, super complicated. I think that at the GJC, the synagogue that I belong to, it's something that is changing. You know, like I can say that in the last couple of weeks, there was an anti-Semitic attack, another one. And that's also something that you learn when you become Jewish, mm-hmm. right? You learn that, oh, shit, this is normal. You know, like it's in my lifetime as a, as a Jew, which is three years, my synagogue has already been attacked three times. What the heck is that? You know, it's, you you learn that too. You learn that, oh, some people really hate you. Mm-hmm. Some people really don't think that you are a person. Some people are going to go show up and call your children names. I remember the first time that this happened at, at the synagogue. Just a group of people came with signs and stuff to protest the synagogue. <laughs> like, literally. To protest the existence of Jews. And it was, and it scares children, right? It's like the objective of it is to scare people. Those of us who are adults already know that some people hate us, but then you see really the young ones and it sucks to to realize that this is how they grow up. This is how we grow up. This is how my children are going to grow up. Mm-hmm. The most recent one, there will be a vigil and people don't know if they should call the cops. We have decided that we won't call the cops. But I also understand that that's the immediate reaction and it's very difficult to unpack. I always have trouble with, with that because, yeah, it is white supremacist to align with yourself with the cops. And it's not OK. It's, it's part of becoming white. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, these people are really terrified because it's not okay that we get anti-Semitic attacks all the time. What happened? I, I guess I hadn't heard about GJC being like, what was the recent one? The recent one was that there was, you know, there is a mailbox outside the synagogue that got signs mm-hmm. like, 
uh, we I, I don't fully understand what they say, but it's but probably swastikas. <laughs> and then there was a huge sign that the synagogue had outside that said Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm many other liberal religious spaces in this country, mm-hmm. someone, we don't know if inside or outside the synagogue or who, decided to erase black and write Jewish. <gasps> oh, I do remember that. You remember this? And then that's not only anti-black, that's also anti-Semitic because yeah. it assumes that there are no black Jews when in reality there are black Jews. Yeah. Many of us, many of them. Um, there are Jews of color. <laughs> I had heard about that. They never specified. They just said a synagogue in Philadelphia. I was like, oh, that must have been like downtown or something. I had no idea it was GJC. Yeah, you're right. It is both. That's the incredible short-sightedness as well. They, depending on if it was someone inside or outside to assume that by saying Black Lives Matter, you're erasing Jewish lives. Like that is so short-sighted. Again, you're right. Buying into white supremacy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Under the belief that all Jews are white. Yeah. when we are not and it's very similar to believing that all jews are rich and wealthy yeah we're not you know if you think of the specifically in new york and in the northeast mm-hmm. one fourth of children who go through hunger in new york are jewish children are orthodox oh children it's a it's a community that that is severely underserved in New York. And I have trouble with the Orthodox community, of course, who might not even, some of them don't even think I'm Jewish. But I also think that those are my people. Those are the people I share religion with. And Mm -hmm. I don't, and also I don't want any kid to not have food. (laughs) A lot of, a lot of people still think that all Jews are wealthy, right? Mm -hmm. And we control the media. And I don't know how to explain that, you know, sometimes in this thing of becoming Jewish, it's difficult to learn that I don't have to respond to anti-Semitism all the time and to correct people all the time. I don't have to tell them, you know what, we don't control the world. And if we were, if we were, believe me, it would be very different. <laughs> yeah. Recently, it's just like, it's becoming even harder to describe what anti-Semitism even is, because the definition, if you go by the ADL, is pretty much anyone like sneezing on a Jewish person <laughs> could be anti-Semitic. Not that like it has to be like a violent attack. Yeah, I think for me, the way to understand it is to think of how anti-Semitism operates under the mobilization of Jews as a scapegoat for pretty much every illness in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And that blurs the possibilities of analyzing capitalism and systemic oppression, right? Because you know why we're poor? Because the Jews made us poor and they control the wealth. You know why migration is increasing? It's not the climate crisis. It's not U.S. Im- imperialism in Central America and Latin America and pretty much everywhere in the world. No, it's not that. It's because the Jews are paying for non-white immigrants to come to this country. It's always blaming it on the Jewish people. And it comes to be more complicated with the Zionist conversation because, yes, you know, the state of Israel is pretty bad. The state of Israel is enormously problematic and it, it is an apartheid state. And also the state of Israel serves British and American imperialism and that's how it was created. It was an European colonial idea. Mm-hmm. because the Holocaust, <laughs> anti-Semitism, Jews ended up there. And that's not to erase any agency, but it's, it is, in fact, complicated. <laughs> well, and then, like, I was going to say, well, in such, like, that Palestinians have to pay for the mistakes of Europe. Again, right. like, that, like, colonial power 
and capitalist power that that Hitler invoked then has to be perpetuated against yet another group of people. It's an interesting question. Like, did the Holocaust end? And then you have to like, you can say yes, but like at the same time, it's just like, I don't know that. Sorry. Oh man, I can hear my advisor's ears ringing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, did I'm not trying to make an argument that it's like still being perpetuated because right after came the Nakba. I understand what you're saying. The the complicatedness of the Israel Palestine doesn't come from like the thing itself, but from like what created it. Yeah. And the thing itself is is just it's it's fucked. But like the thing that created it is what's really complicated because. It's untangling, yeah, like what, it, whose interests, where, and why. Yeah. So when converting to Judaism, you convert <laughs> to this. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, it's one of the questions you were asked, like, are you ready to take on uh, the uh, suffering of Jewish people? Was that No, did they ask you that? They did. They were just like, are you willing to accept, like, all suffering of Jewish people is your suffering? So, like, uh, from the exodus from Egypt, or no, so Egypt... Um, exodus and all the way to the holocaust like are you willing to take all that like you know all that suffering on and like that's your history now and i'm just "Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) (laughs) definitely uh i I totally know what that means too like for me as a person uh i do i know that means as a historian uh don't know what that means as a person yes that was yeah that was one of the questions they asked me that's such a hard one yeah and it's very real <laughs> and yeah I don't think I fully understood when I converted that I was mm-hmm. also converting to this minority religion in mm-hmm. the world you know that our norms are not everyone's norms that it's actually pretty difficult if you want to be an observant Jew to navigate the world yeah you cannot eat a lot of things <laughs> but also you cannot have certain jobs too Right. Like mm-hmm. you if if let's say you want to observe Shabbat and sometimes Shabbat in the Northeast starts at 3 p.m. And in the world it starts at 3 p.m. Well, no one is going to accommodate for that um, or it's going to be really difficult and you'll have to engage in all conversations. For me, conversion was assuming that was understanding and accepting and embracing that. Oh, I'm a minority in many ways. I was already a racial minority in the U.S. and a citizenship status minority in the U.S. And I'm also not heterosexual. So, okay, that's also another way of being. And now I'm Jewish. Like, what's next? You know? Could possibly. I maybe, yeah, like there's how many more intersections are there? That's a good question. <laughs> That's, you know you're right though because like because they don't sell alcohol on Sundays or they don't sell it after a certain time right there's laws in Philadelphia that are based on Quaker laws and they're based on Christianity you're just like what the fuck same with like in Indiana like they don't sell alcohol after 9 p.m on Sundays and there's also dry towns throughout the south that's for Catholics and maybe for the west it's like Mormons yeah or things like holidays right why do I have to take a week off during Christmas and I cannot take a week off during Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> it's as basic as that. Right. I have to literally I have to email people to let them know that I'm Jewish. So I'm outing myself as Jewish. Great, always fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then I depend on them to let me go for a couple of days. <laughs> and no matter what, I have to take Christmas. Yeah. It's just thinking more about that. And I chose to embrace that. Great. <laughs> and a lot of generational trauma. And at the same time, just because yeah, we're sounding like the crankiest, but 
at the same time, it's so much more joyful. Mm-hmm. Joy is allowed. Shouting is allowed. Being angry is allowed. Being happy is allowed. Crying is allowed. I know so many men who just cry now that are Jewish that I didn't know before. I know a lot of gender non-conforming Jews that I think come to Judaism and are close to Judaism because it's more allowed than in Christianity. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Today is Saturday, so I went to Shabbat services, and I've been drinking from oh, <laughs> a Swedish cup. Um, but today, the services were led by by uh, by two lesbian women. That let's just not normalize that. I didn't grow up with that, and I don't see when the Catholic Church is going to allow two lesbian priestess to lead any type of service. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot of joy in Judaism because we're allowed to be. It's funny because like talking to Danny and also just like talking to other Jews, even though the holidays are definitely like for mourning and for like, you know, remembrance and all that. It's just like Catholics have Easter and they mourn the death of, you know, Jesus or whatever. I'm sure there are, pl- there are plenty of like religions that have holidays that are not joyful and like don't are like meant to remember something from history. One of the jokes of like every Jew, I swear to God, every Jewish community is like, oh, all our holidays are sad. We're such a sad people. And I'm just like, that's not my experience. Jews are very joyful people. Sometimes it's more about being in community together to remember things and to try to process grief rather than it is to just like, you know, wallow in sadness. I don't think of Yom Kippur as like a sad day. I know people think it is, but it's not. I don't like the perception that Jews are very serious as very serious people. It's very fun to be Jewish and to be among Jewish people and Something that if we ever get back to Philly that I want to create with you and with other Jews our age is like a community that isn't defined by the institution of the synagogue, but rather our own deeply held beliefs like anti-Zionism and being accepting of everyone. Like you said, two lesbian rabbis, but being accepting of that as individual Jews as well. I'm hopeful for that in a way that I could never be hopeful for that as a Catholic. Like I would have to deny what Catholicism is to get something like that. Yeah, totally. Yes, I absolutely agree. I think another big thing that I learned and I now feel I was missing is the possibility of of community, right? It is true that we are very communal people and that it can be very insular. It is true. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I have never before experienced so much support and help and holding from my community. And understanding that community is not the same that your friends or your family. I am in community with people who are not my friends, nor my family, but they are my community. I am in community with people who I disagree with. And, you know, that's tricky sometimes, but that is different than than having friends. I don't have friends who I deeply disagree with. And I know that in my community, people will show up even if they disagree. And that's different. I, I do a lot of anti-racist work with my community and it's tricky. And I also realize that people are trying to learn. And that's, believe me, so much better than whatever work I do at my Ivy League institution. It's profoundly contrasting to whatever I have experienced at other institutions that are just doing diversity work because they they need to clean their image um, because they have done terrible things. That's not the case with my synagogue or my community. There is, a, I think, something I love about being Jewish and being in Jewish community is that it's genuine that we want to be better. And that community is something I just never experienced in Catholicism. The community I experienced in Catholicism was going to Sunday school. Then you get a tamal at like 1 p.m. 
after four hours of praying and learning something about Jesus, and that's it. And you are taken care by by nuns, and then the nuns get tired of you, and you have to leave. There was no actual getting to make friends. You, in fact, are, or I was not encouraged to have friends in the Catholic Church. You know, I was encouraged to to just eat with others, but I, I couldn't be friends with the boys. I was too different for for whatever the Catholic Church was doing for me. It's very, very different. I think the, the commitment is something I appreciate now. You know, a lot of secular Jews that have opinions about Judaism, and that itself is more commitment than nothing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like the the when you're saying that, the I think the loneliest place I've ever been was in a full Catholic church. One of the best things I ever learned being in a Jewish service was there is a specific time during every service where you turn around and you start talking to people, or even at the end when you're, you know, having a meal is you're talking to people and introducing yourself and like getting to know who you're praying with. That's how we met. And it's just like, how could I have ever met someone like you in a Catholic church? Yeah. It's also even a matter of architecture. Yeah. Synagogues are smaller (laughs) because we're fewer. And that itself has an impact in, in Judaism. Synagogues tend to be pretty small, except for like huge reform synagogues. Right. And by the way, it's no coincidence that a lot of left-wing thinkers and communist and socialist thinkers are Jewish. It's a very communal experience, really, and really trusting of community. And I wish we could expand expand that to Gentiles, so non-Jews, but I, I see how it's hard. I love and treasure Jewish community, and I just never saw anything like that before. Yeah, I'm with you. So uh, I w- we could keep talking about this for hours. I, and I, but I also want to end on like this positive note, because I, as much as it seems like we're trashing Catholicism, Catholicism just didn't have a space for us. And if it has a space for you, that's fine. Maybe do some self-evaluation about why that is and like why you fit into that. I don't know, listeners, maybe take some time, <laughs> go on a journey, go for a walk. And uh, is there any parting sentiment or thought or something about your own Jewish process? Your, your Christian self is dead. She can't come back. You have nailed her coffin shut, it seems. Uh, (laughs) And she can't come out. But is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners and maybe yourself with like this conversation with? Mm. I remember one teaching of this year I did when I was Catholic and I was really into the Jesuit stuff that actually think is very important and it's a big teaching. And that's the Jesuit uh, volunteer service taught me this, seeing Jesus in every person. Honestly, when you really embrace that, it can be helpful that every single person in the world is holy, no, including people who have abortions. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> including people who are trans, including people who are non-binary, including people like, please, everyone. And that I think is, a, is an important Catholic teaching that I have. I, the way I took that teaching is that, okay, that's a, an important Catholic teaching that maybe the Catholic Church should also take into account. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, yeah, you'd think, but here, here we are. I think that's a great thing to impart. And I, we're hoping to get our listeners to talk to us a little bit more and maybe write in or like leave an audio message for us. As Catholics would say, if you feel moved by the Holy Spirit, but for us, if you just feel moved to talk about it, please send it something in. But Edna, I want to thank you so much for being here. This was a great conversation, one we needed to have for years. Hopefully when we have you on again on the podcast, maybe next time we'll talk about stamp collecting. <laughs> like, yes. For my cats. 
Oh yeah. I saw him in the background earlier. He looked so regal. Anyway. So thank you everyone for listening. (laughs) Don't worry. We'll leave that part in. Uh, Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Tune in next week. I don't know what episode it'll be, but thank you for joining us. Have a great week. Six steps.